podcast about the intersection between mass media, culture, and mental health. I'm Kaylee LeGrand, and we have a guest with us in the studio who doesn't have liquid in her mouth and can introduce <laughs> herself. <laughs> Lee, why don't you introduce yourself? Uh, yeah, good morning. Uh, my name is Lee Lawson. I am uh, an actor, writer, director, filmmaker sort of creature, and uh, yeah, really happy to be here. <laughs> I actually bumped into you yesterday for the very first time, mm-hmm. so I thought today was going to be the first time we were meeting in person, but it was really cool to have that synchronicity. Mm-hmm. We were at uh, an opening event for the Toronto After Dark Film Festival, mm-hmm. and in which you have a film. Yes. Why don't we start off by telling a little bit about what that film is, so that those who are tuning in specifically to check out the festival know what film to go to. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I'm in a, a short called A Noise That Carries. Uh, it's a film by Guillermo de la Rosa. I love saying his name. <laughs> um, uh, written by Erica Orofino. Um, and it's a really interesting horror short because it, I, I think it flips a lot of the normal horror tropes on their heads. And for me, it was an interesting project because most of the time when I'm in horror, and I've done a lot of horror, uh, I'm running away, screaming, uh, generally not wearing a lot of clothes, drenched in corn syrup. And so this, this uh, gave me a chance to play in a little bit of a, a different space, um, which was exciting. I don't want to spoil anything, because uh, it's, obviously it's a short, there's not a lot of story to, to, um, to spoil. Uh, but basically, this man has just bought a house, and he's, um, or sorry, his wife has just moved out of the house. That's why there's boxes everywhere. It's been a long time since the shoot. <laughs> so this man um, uh, is alone in a house and uh, a woman comes to call and the story is what transpires over the uh, course of her impromptu visit. Okay. Is that super vague? <laughs> it, is. it is super vague. <laughs> However, you were also pretty detailed in the fact that you're wearing clothes and you don't have corn syrup on. No corn syrup. Oh, <laughs> That's actually, that's, that's a beautiful thing. I've been in that position mm-hmm. as well. I've had several shoots where by the end of it, I'm like, I need, I'm always on a search for a new product to take corn syrup off my body to help peel even not just corn syrup, but like, Tanya, what was that material we used to look like? Latex. Latex. We did a commercial shoot that required us to look like basically 60, 80 year old women. So our skin had to look Mm -hmm. like it was deteriorating and it was so cool and I was so excited to have it done in the moment and then when we had to take it off I was so mad and never wanting to do it again of course (laughs) once it comes off I want to do it again you're just like uh what's coming off is this the fake skin or my actual skin at a certain point no no we have videos of us trying to peel it off our face and screaming at each other (laughs) like just looking for a savior so that's really cool that you didn't have to go through that kind of torture. Mm. Is there any... It is a horror film, though, mm-hmm. that you're doing. And you have done a lot of horror films. Yes, I have. Can you speak to maybe not necessarily all of those physical tortures that you've <laughs> experienced, but we talk a lot about the mental capacity, mm-hmm. your mental realm um, here on our podcast. Mm-hmm. As an actor, putting yourself in those roles, what kinds of journeys have you found yourself on? Mm. It's an interesting question because I, I think there's a certain athleticism to to horror performance, um, and so I think the first time you do it, you're you're just kind of in the space of, can I do this? Can I can I get there? Can I can I scream at the top of my lungs? Can I get that hysterical? And it's it's really about you know can I can I put my body into this very, very intense crisis state. What you don't realize is after you do that, it, it, it stays with you. Um, you know, it's, it's real adrenaline, it's real cortisol, even if the um, situation is imagined. Um, so, I, 
I think that, yeah, the first time you do it, it's, it's just kind of exciting to go to this very extreme space. But if you continue to work in that genre, you have to be a little bit more careful. You have to be a little bit more judicious in how you pick the roles and stories because you can end up feeling like, um, you know, do, do I want to participate in, in a project where I'm going to feel absolutely terrible for, for weeks afterwards if I, if I don't feel it's a meaningful story, right? So I, I think it, <laughs> it jumps very quickly from being this personal challenge to being a, a kind of, um, kind of ethical question about like the type of art you want to participate in. That's a great way of putting it. I like the fact that you talk about almost like that, that payoff, like what you're putting in has to also give you a residual check in mm-hmm. a meaningful way. Mm-hmm. And is that how you choose roles? Do you decide, you know, you do your analytic process and your, your father, you mentioned earlier, your father's a scientist. So mm-hmm. are you breaking it down into the, you know, pros and cons? Are you analyzing it in a way where you calculate what you're going to have to put into it and where you'll have to go emotionally, what that might cost you, your mm-hmm. vulnerability and, and your own mental space um, against what you will get out of it in a meaningful way and what is that meaningful way you look for? Um, not so much what I'll, I'll get out of it at the finish line. It's more a question about what what is this process going to feel like? Because I, I think at the beginning of most actors' careers, they, they, they want to be on set. They want to be in everything. Um, and and that's, a, that's a nice phase to be in, to kind of dabble and figure out who you are as an artist. But over time, I, you, you if you want to do this sustainably for, for the long term, it becomes a question of, am I, am, I, am I going to enjoy working with these people? Is this a project that I'm going to feel proud of? And, and when the days are so long, and they're really long, they're like minimum 12, usually closer to 16, you, ha- you have to enjoy what you're working on. Otherwise, that... It's miserable. It doesn't, it doesn't pay a lot and the hours are very, very long. So it, ha- it has to be a pleasurable process. And I think that's, that's, that, that's kind of my measuring stick is do I think, do I think I'm going to enjoy going to work? It sounds like the way that you're measuring that, in part at least, is the people that you're working with. For sure, yeah. So I'm, I'm assuming that's just one part of the pie, though. That's a big part. I, mm-hmm. I think... Like I, I like working on stuff that's that's very quirky and unusual and, and usually quite different from, from what I've done before. I, I like the the challenge of that. But if someone who I love working working with came to me with a very, very simple story and said, you know, do you do you want to be part of this? It's important to me, I I would probably hop on board. Um because the the kind of novelty and challenge is it's it's only one part of what's attractive about it. A, a lot of it is just being with this creative group of people who, who you care about and who you have a, a sense of community with, um, for me at least. Does it matter what those stories are about, what the topic is, and is it does it have to be something that is in an arena that is of interest to you already, mm-hmm. or if it's not, how, how do you find your way into the material, not necessarily just the people you're working mm-hmm. with? Um, I'm, I'm a pretty cerebral person, um, so I, I like to work on projects that they have. It's it's hard to describe because it's 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 a it's a really diverse set of criteria, but each of them have to have a little bit of what I what I think of as like mind pleasure. Like there's something about that project that my brain just goes, mm, that's 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 interesting in some way, be it aesthetically or. Um, from from a from a, a narrative standpoint, or from a character challenge standpoint, if it's a very technical sort of uh, uh, performance, like something about it has to, I guess, it, it excite me and make me want to continue thinking about it. Um, and and yeah, it's it's not always it's not always the the story itself. Um, although more and more, I'm being a little bit more careful with. I guess having a sense of responsibility for the stories that I'm picking, um, so that you know, not not all of the films I need, uh, all all of the films I'm in need to be positive, but being very cognizant of like, 
not sending unnecessary unnecessary like negativity and and unpleasant stories out into the world mm-hmm. if that makes sense well the way that i'm hearing this is and maybe it's because of the way that i see story and mm-hmm. why i decided to be in the realm of storytelling mm-hmm. but story is a cathartic experience not only for those who are putting the story together but you know it's a package that you're giving to an audience so that they can also now have a cathartic experience through the hero's eyes mm. and the kinds of energies that you put out in roles or stories that you tell and characters that you portray they they can have a lasting effect on people they, mm. they I mean that's the hope that you tell stories that stay with people and mm. sometimes in some ways change them which is really cool to see mm. so telling stories that they do obviously necessitate contrast, mm-hmm. not just the highs of life, but the lows of life to show those changes. Mm-hmm. And I, I think you're, you're hitting the nail on the head when it comes to finding that balance of like, yeah, yeah, yeah we got to go into those negative realms, mm-hmm. but that's for a reason. It serves a purpose to find that cathartic experience and find how that changes the hero mm-hmm. or changes something for the audience in a mind frame yeah. sort of way. It's the, it's the, um, exploitative versus meaningful kind of yes. divide. Just trying, like if it bleeds, it leads. I used to be a journalist and <laughs> it's, it, I mean, any kind of media you put mm-hmm. out there, there's a lot of sensationalism. Mm-hmm. Is it for a purpose? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, I, yeah, I <laughs> agree with that wholeheartedly. Cause it's, it's, not not every story needs to be um, super super inspiring and aspirational and, and and you know it would it would be very very boring and it would lack a lot of conflict if that's all you were willing to engage with I think mm-hmm. um, and you would miss an enormous part of, of the human experience which is what's interesting to explore in, in story but I, I guess coming from an, an indie background where it feels very much like the wild west and a lot of it is just super macho and super violent and super um just like trying to grab attention trying to grab eyes any way possible um you 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 very quickly uh you very quickly kind of figure out what what you want to engage with and like what is worth that um, expenditure of energy and, and human cost? And are you looking at it as a way of what you're left with in the end? What's that, what that's doing to you? Mm-hmm. It, what, what it's doing to me, what it's doing to um, the larger kind of community of people that I work with, what it's doing uh, to the people who are going to receive it. Um, like uh, this year, I've said no to quite a few roles Um that, that I felt were irresponsible, that either uh, dealt with a sexual assault or um, mental illness in ways that I, I, I thought were really toxic and, and potentially damaging. And so I've had a couple of super awkward phone calls with directors where they're like, do you want, we, we want to cast you. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to, and this is why. Mm-hmm. Um, which is a, a huge, huge shift for me and probably, probably not the best for my finances but it's important um I think it's it's important because if 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 you just kind of blindly participate in that you're 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 almost saying you agree with it as a performer yeah yeah well it sounds like you're coming back to your why the reason why you got into this Mm -hmm. in the first place you know it's not I think when people choose to become an actor and go through that indie slog Mm -hmm. I guess you could say of just like you mentioned, wanting to be in everything, wanting to explore, saying yes to all these projects. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also a part of not only finding yourself, your footing, but building that network for yourself, building the finances. Mm-hmm. It's not it's not a job that you just hop into for the huge paychecks, even mm-hmm. though, you know, for sure, every indie film comes with a million dollar tag. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it does sound like you're coming back to your why. And it, it sounds almost like you're kind of at a new cycle or a new level in your work. If you've mm-hmm. done a lot of work in the past and it sounds like you've done a lot of horror, you said mm-hmm. that maybe now you're being a little bit more particular or you're refining what you are looking for for yourself mm-hmm. in your work. Mm-hmm. You just 
worked on a project. We spoke on the phone mm-hmm. a couple weeks ago about mental health in general um, in relation to the character that you do play mm-hmm. and working with somebody who it does seem like they fit with the kind of story that you are willing and wanting to tell about those mental capacities. Mm-hmm. You did have some hesitation about um, in, in that conversation. Mm-hmm. Can we talk a little bit about what the hesitation was? Yeah, it's it's tricky because it, you, you when you're playing a character, you want to um, embody them as honestly as possible and sometimes characters have, have kind of psychological differences. Sometimes, um, you know, it, uh, they'd have what you would, you would diagnose as psychological illnesses and you want to be authentic with that, but it's also difficult because sometimes it's used as a plot device to kind of further the story and, you know, movies work as a narrative system. So it's important for them to function as a, as a whole cohesive story, but you don't want it to become, you don't want it to become exploitative. You don't want uh, a character who's manic depressive or, or um, psychotic to just be uh, like, a char- like, a, like, a, like a plot engine. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have to find the balance where the plot is organically kind of blossoming from these characters that you're throwing together and mental illness is not just being used as this kind of like spicy element that, that's going to zhuzh up the story uh, and push it forward. Um, and it's tricky because a lot of that's in the writing and, and as, as an actor you don't have control over that. So you kind, kind of have to... Mm, find moments to, to, to add a little bit more humanity and mitigate sometimes the kind of narrative requirements. Does that make sense? I, I feel like I'm talking myself into a circle. I, hold on, I'm going to move. This is a noisy chair. Um, I, I think I'm, I, I ride that same wavelength. Mm. I think that that's why I've also carried my writing into the industry, mm. which is something I believe you do as well. You're mm-hmm. a writer too. Yes. How do you satisfy that need for yourself in your own writing? Well, right now, I, um, I'm working on the Earth Rangers podcast, uh, which is an environmental podcast done by the Courtright Center. Um, and they've just started a new show called The Big Melt, um, which is basically dealing in a more honest, uh, uh, grounded way with the emotional realities for, for, for kids and preteens about dealing with climate change. Um, and so right now my writing tests are, are, are very, very satisfying because I get to like write from this place of dealing with issues I genuinely care about and, and, uh, writing from this kind of naive perspective of, of being not naive, but perhaps less jaded perspective of being like 14, 15 and being able to... Hmm? We're just getting spikes whenever oh, you hit that. <laughs> I talk with my hands. It's okay. I can, yeah. I can edit that out. Yeah. Um, Speaking not from a naive... Not, not from a naive, but less jaded perspective of like just being able to care 100% fully about issues and not having to tamp that down. So right now my writing is really, really pleasurable. Um with with some of my other projects uh, it, it becomes similar to my acting an issue of like writing something that 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 could be made that could service audiences and be really interesting but also is authentic to me and and um a story that i care about because you you often have to fit sentiment and 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 things that are meaningful to you inside of a uh, um, pre-established genre requirements like there's beats you have to hit and there are things that people want to see, right? Um, but I think it's possible. I think it's definitely doable. Do you like working that way, kind of from a framework through or do you have aspiration to, do you have your own babies, your own features or series? Like where, what, What's your ideal project that you would love to create, whether it's writing or acting? My ideal project that I would like to create? Um, I have a... <laughs> I have a sprawling, multi-generational um, film about an Italian art heist 
that I just need like $8 million and um, permission to use the Florentine Gallery. And it's going to be great, guys. <laughs> Sounds so, fun. Yeah. So I, I... Like an Ocean's Eleven, but in an earlier era. It's Well, it's actually, it's a reverse heist. And it's, every character sort of embodies a different... Uh, uh, um, sort of ideological version of, of authenticity. It's very complicated. I like to write things that are very heady and very you are complicated. Heady. I, I can yeah, feel the headiness. <laughs> and, um, and feel a bit like chess. So you can see why sometimes I have to kind of take my ideas and then go, okay, how can I, how can I put this on a level where, first of all, it's makeable, doable, mm-hmm. um, and second of all, where it doesn't become overwhelmed or over or, or, or over intellectualized by all of the ideas in it. Um, so like the process of like streamlining it, shall mm-hmm. we say. So that it's not convoluted for an audience to digest. Yes. Yeah. Because I mean, I, although I think there's a very small audience for five hour, uh, multi-generational art heist. Films, <laughs> um, it's, 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 it's pretty, pretty darn niche, pretty small. <laughs> Well, it does sound like we're moving in that direction these days with, you know, if, it, mm-hmm. if it's a five-hour piece, cool, cut it up into five episodes for Netflix. True. Or ten. True. Yeah. Ah. <laughs> oh, I'm not writing a film. I'm writing a series. I didn't realize it. Mm-hmm. That's where my headspace has been at lately with some of my writing because I love the structure of feature. I love a one-off story. I love mm-hmm. being able to have that, that almost like closure in a sense. Mm-hmm. But... We're living in a world where more and more, because of the way that people consume the media, there is such a binge-worthiness that you Mm want to attach to something and find characters that you love enough to be like, cool, take them anywhere and everywhere you can have a sustainable character Mm -hmm. through multiple journeys over and Mm -hmm. over again. And I don't know where my my passion is. Like, I, I like... I like the challenge of seeing how to restructure stories mm-hmm. and I've already kind of had that mentality. Do you, do you work from the outside in or do you like to try to just find an idea and let that spark your joy and run with it? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I d- d- definitely the former. I, I'll have an idea and I'll, I'll think about it continuously and just kind of like live inside of it and, and, um, when I'm bored, just kind of like go there in my head for a good long time until it's actually mostly written. And then I'll, I'll sit down and, um, and write it out, uh, uh, usually in very concentrated, um, chunks of time. So it might seem like I, like I, I, I binge write, I guess, yeah. but it's, that's the culmination of toying with something and thinking about it actually in, in quite a concerted way for a long time. And then what I end up with I usually kind of sit down, dissect a little bit and go, okay, so where, where are the acts and does it, what structure can I kind of use to, to fine tune certain things? So it's just a very organic, oh, I'm touching the table again, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, start, start in a very, very organic space and then, um, yeah, try and, try and find those beats, try to find those structures so that it can, it can exist in a, in a more uh, um, uh, recognizable form not necessarily conventional but just there, there's certain things we want from movies mm-hmm. there's some things I want uh, as an audience member from from movies and I, I think it's a really useful tool to to take an idea that's enjoyable for you as a writer and turn it into a, a project that's enjoyable to watch do you find that the theme always comes to you first the theme or I guess the central argument of whatever your projects are no no I I, I Usually what I latch on to is like a certain image or a certain character moment. Like the, the initial idea for that art heist movie I was telling you about, um, it's called Pedimenti, was just of a, a, the, the back of a man standing in front of two absolutely identical oil paintings. And I, I don't know why this just popped into my head and everything blossomed out of that so there's usually like some sort of striking central image or or sound or just a a, a moment and then it it kind of grows from that 
do you think in images? Very Would you much say so, yeah. More so than you think in words? Probably. <laughs> Which is why I end up being a, 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 taking a long time to try and uh, um, explain what I'm thinking. I, I think I'm the same. Tanya and I were kind of on that wave before you arrived that, that you know, do we think in images or do we think in, in words? Mm-hmm. And as a writer, it's you're always looking for that that grasp on the grammar and being mm-hmm. able to find a new polished way of expressing mm-hmm. yourself. Mm-hmm. And yet, I feel like maybe the source is always still an image first. I think it's coming from archetypal images, but then the expression is like the ch- once you channel it through. Maybe maybe that's no no that's where you find what part of art world you live in, whether you're an actor or a writer or director. Mm-hmm. And we're we're back to your Jungian uh, Jungian uh, analysis. <laughs> it always it always goes back to me. Kind of always does. Yeah. This is, these are all just love notes to Jung mm-hmm. <laughs> from yeah. beyond. Um, we were also talking about how the messages kind of not only get disseminated to your fans or followers um but what the interaction looks like on a technological level now that we live in such a social media age Mm -hmm. and you used an analogy before we hit play or record um about a bear's mouth oh yes can you Um, tell us about that mm -hmm. so i mean if you're if you're if you're somewhat internet literate and you 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 are aware of the systems that you're participating in when you're on Instagram or Facebook or uh, just using your, your email. Um, you realize that you're, you're, you basically signed a contract that gives away a lot of your rights, a lot of your privacy, um, a lot of your, your just sort of sovereign territory in your mind because you're, you're open to all sorts of um, ads that are directly targeted to you and exploiting different elements of your psychology. And you kind of have to be okay with it. I think it's a, a sensation of like being in the mouth of a bear and you know, at any moment the bear could close its mouth and bite you. Um, but you're just kind of like, it's all right, right now. It's, it's warm in here. The tongue is squishy. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm okay right now. But you, you, you know that there's, there's an inherent risk but it's really hard to extract yourself from. Would you say that you're aware of those sorts of risks? Like you are an active user, mm-hmm. not ignorantly. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, especially especially because it's it's a increasingly a professional tool for me. So I'm I'm first of all aware of all of those personal risks and kind of like have that tech panic that I think a lot of people have nowadays. But I'm also aware that it's it's like participating in creating this weird entity that isn't quite me, which is really very odd. Are you talking about the persona that mm-hmm. is being shown to the world through mm-hmm. your social media apps, for instance? For sure, for sure. Um, yeah, it's not. It's not. It's not a, a um, an accurate depiction. It's it's somewhat elevated. It's only the good parts, um, which is. Uh, I think I think in a, in a lot of ways necessary um, to show only the good parts professionally. Yeah, if it's if it's like you're you you want to be real and you want to be yourself, but you, you're not going to show you know people who could potentially hire you. I'm having a terrible day. I'm so depressed. I can't get out of bed. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are those days. Mm-hmm. I think er- like everybody has those days, but it's just not. It's not. Uh, um, it's not what you put up on the wall. It's not what you. It's not the face you show to the world, right? Do you wish that there, we lived in a world where you could be that honest? I I don't know. I don't know if that's if that's a public forum sort of thing, or if that's an intimate experience that you keep, um, you know, not keep to yourself, but that that it, you keep to your circle. Because there's on one hand, there's a, the argument that like, wouldn't it be great if we could share this? with everyone and then there's the argument well why do we have to share mm-hmm. with everyone yeah all the time um yeah i i have friends who are actually very very good at balancing that and i i 
respect the, the vulnerability of it and I, I appreciate it. Um, I just, I think I'm, I'm slightly more private. And so I almost begrudgingly even share the good stuff. Oh, really? Yeah. You have to force yourself to like set a timer of when you have to post on social media. Yes. I have to be like, I went to a film festival. I should probably put this up. <laughs> Shout out, Tad. Yeah. <laughs> we love you. Yes. No, it, they're, they're great and they're wonderful experiences, but it's, it's, it's very odd creating a, a, a public self. Mm-hmm. Mm. Do you find that you spend a lot of time analyzing that public self? Like, do you, do you get stressed about it at all? Mm, yeah. I mean, I, I recently did like a culling. I went through my um, social media and, and actually took out a lot of things that were, I felt were almost to me. Um, and so, oh, wow. Yeah. So what my, what my, not to, again, not to project an inauthentic form of, 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 self and create something that's that's so like abhorrently artificial but more just like there were things that I thought this is just this is just for me this is just for my family and so now what my social media reflects is primarily like my kind of aesthetic sensitivities if I find something very beautiful or if you know there's particularly stunning avocado toast Um, (laughs) or, or just like a moment that I'm that I wanted to capture and generally not things that are like my family or, um, even my dog. There, there are, I I think I kind of set about to create this separation between like my most intimate self. And again, this kind of public commodity, if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, you in essence are a public commodity when Mm -hmm. you choose to be an artist who wants to share their art with Mm -hmm. the world. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's a weird conversation because it seems like we also, because we've lowered these technological barriers and we have the ability to be our own marketing team mm-hmm. with a social media presence and... Yes, we get to. <laughs> <laughs> we get the privilege of wearing every single hat that multi-million dollar conglomerations have departments for. Mm-hmm. We are so fortunate in being able to have all of that control over it, but Mm -hmm. we have that double-edged sword where all of that responsibility and weight is on us if we want it to, if we want each of those departments to be successfully running Mm in this well-oiled machine. Mm -hmm. So, and I think that social media in itself or technology is, like you mentioned, it's a tool Mm -hmm. and it's not necessarily a tool that can be good or bad, but it's really cool to see the different ways in which people do use them mm-hmm. in either being able to find their, their connections, their home, if it's online or mm-hmm. they're gamers and they find people around the world who are interested in the same thing as them. And they finally feel like they belong. They have a community or for me, you know, I, I can have a crystal clear conversation with my sister who lives in Europe over Skype, mm-hmm. but it also keeps us apart. Mm-hmm. So it's this weird globalized village that we live in that still somehow has the ability to, we have the ability to segregate ourselves even further with mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Do you like being in public eye? <laughs> mm, I no, I don't know. I don't. I it's. I don't even like taking pictures, to be honest. Which is very odd for an actress. But I, I think that um, I think there's fundamentally two types of actors. I think there are actors who act because. They like to be seen, which can be very positive and wonderful, and 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 they're consummate performers. And then there's actors who act because they like to disappear um, into things. And I, I think I'm much more the latter than the former. I, I like to. I love being on set. I love working. I love the fantasy of it. I love the escapism. I love finding those really exciting moments. But the machine surrounding it, I'm I'm much less fond of. Um, it's, it's necessary. You don't, you you don't get to progress and and continue being on more and more interesting sets if you don't participate with, with that kind of more, uh, um, kind of surface level shape of the project, um, the marketing, the, the, the branding of it. Um, but it's, 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 that's the challenge for me. 
I can, I, I can, I can, I can do self tapes all day. I can <laughs> audition constantly. I love all of that, but the um, create creating the public self is is much more challenging. I find. What about you? Would what you? you? <laughs> uh, it's a conversation that I'm having with myself right now, thinking about the. I don't like the time that you have to put into mm. it because I do go into that heady space of like oh, I have to care about the way that people see me and I have to, like, I have to make a decision about mm-hmm. what image I choose from this to share or um, even even editing a podcast, uh, leaving it an uh. And what is that? What do those little details say? Mm-hmm. Because we have the ability to control that. We have the ability to make, to, to make sound bites. Mm-hmm. And I mean, especially with projects like this, Antonio and I decided from the start, let's, Try to be as organic as possible because that's kind of the point and that's kind of the space that we are looking to create for people to feel comfortable exploring in. Um, and a lot of media is not that today. Mm-hmm. A lot of media is is sound bites. Mm-hmm. Look at the look at the debates. Look at federal elections. Look at what really? is being tossed. It's it's <laughs> everything is sound bites and everything's PR. Mm-hmm. Everything is spin mm-hmm. and. People can just as easily take an image from your social media or take a soundbite from a podcast and create their own spin. That's mm-hmm. kind of the risk. Mm-hmm. I I think that that's something that I'm getting more comfortable with, taking the risk of putting yourself out there and letting other people, your audience, letting the other people who interact with you be co-creators in what that brand is. Mm. Because there's... I never thought about it that way. <laughs> you, can't, you can't have full control, even though we do in some ways think that we do now have all that control we don't we're putting we're putting the message out there you can never control the way that somebody's going to take it in or the way that they may reappropriate it mm. yes no that's very very well said i <laughs> i was in a zombie web series a long time ago and someone actually made a piece of fan art and it was the first time i had ever had my image sort of appropriated by someone and turned into a piece of fan art and it was in truth, hideous. It was so horrible. <laughs> it was like they had taken the head of well, my head and the head of, of of the other lead actor and put us into this weird like mother and child tableau, and Ooh. underneath was like this 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 um, quote, "Oh, my sweet darling, I will feed you grapes." And I was like, "This is so weird," but I promise you. The person was 100% sincere in, in creating this. They thought they had created something quite beautiful that we would all enjoy. Yeah. Um, and it was, I think the, 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 the outright absurdity of it primed me for like the experience afterwards of people taking things that you say out of context and taking images of you out of context and using it for their own devices because it happens there's hundreds of images of me out in the world so I, I I'm really glad that was my first experience with it wow yeah and the way that you have let that sit with you yeah I just you, I just had to say that well thank you <laughs> thank you for this this hideous disturbing thing thank I'm, you for Madonna and babe yeah. zombie-esque reappropriation I'm I'm glad that that you that you enjoyed the uh series enough that um that you made that <laughs> that's interesting yeah it's it's um I think that that's also a space for me that I'm still I don't know if you ever really get comfortable uh in in that space I think that's always a space where you continually further or expand your understanding of what your brand is or what your work is or what you as an artist as well I I've done a lot of horror in my past as well and I remember being at like my parallel experience was being at a like a convention and having somebody come up and scream one of my lines back to I, I did not play a docile character. I played <laughs> a, a a truly gr- grotesque mm-hmm. character who I fully embodied, and so I was still also dealing with some PTSD to be honest from that experience. Mm-hmm. I had not really worked in a very safe way. I've talked about that before on our mm-hmm. podcast. It's part of the reason why I wanted to have conversations about this is that space where somebody catches me off guard at a convention and says a disturbing line back to me and the split second that it takes for me to not only recognize that oh this person's not screaming at me, this person is is joyfully taking part in something that I've already created and giving mm-hmm. it back to me. They're they're bouncing it back to me. But 
it's triggering experiences that I've had that I'm still working through. Mm-hmm. And just to understand how that affects me, how the art that I was a part of, how it affected somebody else and how they're giving it back to me and how that's affecting me. Mm-hmm. And, and I've now started taking that experience and putting it into one of my scripts and, and using that cyclical action of, we just regurgitate it to work back and forth with each other. And it's always just through the experience. And, and the other thing is that you're, you're not generally conscious of it. It's, it's, there, there are moments where you're like, oh, my experience of making this and my experience of the material is completely separate from how this person has received it. There's a, there's a, an yes. enormous distance between the two. Yes. Um, Every so often, you'll you'll have these moments where you see the distance, but otherwise, you, you're so inside of it that it's it's tricky to separate it. Yeah, I find those spaces fascinating. If I can step far enough outside of my own experience and myself to see that gulf mm-hmm. between two different perspectives, mm-hmm. and then understand what that journey is mm-hmm. for all the characters involved of how how it got to that point, because those are the interesting moments for me in story in film is. Setting up those expectations, setting a, a, a premise for a character and then having them bump up against things and heighten it. And obviously, as the film goes along, it's just getting more and more heightened and seeing how that one thing can become extrapolated into a, a climactic moment that just bursts and what does that outcome look like? How are people changed? I think it comes back to those moments of interaction where, oh, cool, there's something changing here. Mm-hmm. Something's bubbling to the surface and we don't fully understand it until we are on the other side of it. Do you feel like you fully understand your characters having been able to walk away from your projects once you're done with them? Do you feel like you can put them in a neat box and up on the shelf? No, but my, my I feel like my understanding of them it changes and grows with, with distance for sure. Um, and sometimes like the, the actual experience of being in, um, being in a scene, being in a certain moment, uh, engaging with a certain emotional state, um, sometimes you don't see the overarching shape of it. Like as an actor, your, your work is so minute a lot of the time that it, it takes that amount of distance to see fully what you've participated in or, or at least understand it better. Um, remember uh, actually so, something that just came out, um, a feature that, uh, I'm in called speak your mind where I play a therapist and I was so, um, so, so tapped into this project and so incredibly in it that I couldn't, I couldn't see the, the, the full shape of it while I was doing it. And then when I, <laughs> I'm going to sound very sort of, um, I don't know. It's, it's an odd story. I went to see it at, at the, the, uh, Toronto independent film festival. And when I was watching my own scenes, I felt separate enough from it that I actually made myself cry. It was a very, very odd experience. So it, it's almost like with distance, you become so separate from it, it, it stops being you. Does that make sense? It sounds like you're aligning with, like you're so immersed in being that character. You've mm-hmm. aligned yourself with being that character that a character doesn't see their whole world. Mm-hmm. So and a character you're doesn't have to, to empathize with themselves. But if they're separate from you, you can em- almost empathize with yourself as that separate person. It's a different sort of, yeah, you're having a different sort of relationship with that character on screen than mm-hmm. you would with yourself being in it. Mm -hmm. And when you are going through what that character is going through, it's, it's a, it's real, it's a visceral thing to come sort of full circle back to what we started talking off, uh, off the top with that you are, you are actually going through those experiences. Mm -hmm. Do you find that whatever you, once you're on the other side, when you can look back, do you find that the characters that came to the, directors who ask you to be a part of be in a part of a project do they align with what you were going through in your own life at that time is it reflective in a way kind of like a law of attraction i guess well certain certain projects not obviously not not everything that you get cast 
in you're a hundred percent right for and you know it all it all just comes together and sings but um there are certain roles that like when I think about them in retrospect or when I see them I'm like ah yeah that's exactly what I needed right at that moment um that that was like exactly the right role for me to be able to explore a certain experience I was having or I was exactly ready for that role um, because I had just had this experience. Mm. Um, there's a project I'm working on right now, which I can't talk too much about the actual project, but what's interesting about the process of doing the work is like, I've played so many uh, victims, quite frankly. I've played so many women who are um, putting these very, very challenging experiences and a huge part of the storytelling is watching them suffer. And for the kind of first time this year, I'm getting to play women who are perhaps more powerful than I see myself as being and more whole and more actualized and more okay with themselves than, than I think I've ever seen myself. And that's really, it's really wonderful because I, I get to try out this space and I, I feel like it's helping I feel like it's helping me grow as a person. So there's the kind of reciprocal um, relationship between like what the character is and what I have to do to become that person. Um, is that part of what it means to be right for a role, do you think? Not necessarily just the right look mm -hmm. or having proven that you've played roles that were similar in the past, but do you think there's something on um, a psychological level of where somebody's at in their growth? that fits with characters to make them right for that role. Maybe. I would, I don't know if the casting process is subtle and sensitive enough to pick up on No, that. I don't think it is. Yeah. But in your opinion, for yeah. somebody, if you were to be part of a casting process, mm. do you think that that's something that's important? Maybe, yes. I mean, acting is a sort of radical empathy. You're trying to create a, a, a theory of mind. You're trying to, to so deeply understand another person and another person's experience that you can embody it and through embody through embodying it understand it even more right it's it's a, it's a very very intense empathetic exercise and i think in order to to do that as much as, as we'd like to to think that we can understand everyone's experience if we if we meditated on it enough if we actually took the time to explore it there's 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 limits right and so I think really good casting is when you have an actor who isn't exactly the person that they're playing, but they're in a place where they can, they can make that jump where it's, it's, it's in reaching distance and in so doing they grow as well. I think that's the ideal situation. You think it's more impressive when that jump is a wider gap for them to make and they still hit that nail on the head? Well, yeah, it's like, it's, it's watching like a, a Olympic gymnast land a super super complicated routine and while they're twirling through the air you don't know if they're gonna like stick it yeah um of course yeah the, the 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 greater the jump the more impressive the performance but and i i think at certain points in your life you're ready to take those really really big jumps um, i think that they're also more satisfying for you as an artist that you know you want to put your bucket far enough ahead that you can still sink it but far enough ahead that you're not quite sure so that it is satisfying when it gets in if it is a further jump for you to make as an actor, that probably means that less people are readily able to see you in that way, which means it's probably going to take convincing to land those roles. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's the sweet spot for actors. Yeah, is there maybe. a role that you want to play that you haven't yet played? Hmm. Um, is there a role I haven't yet played that I want to play? Or a genre or something or that you... Like, where would you want to explore to next if you could make your pitch for yourself? <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm taking a second to think about this. Um, I, I would really, really... Actually, you know, it would be really interesting to play a character who's very close to myself. It's something I've never done. Um, and I think that would feel extremely bracing and, and vulnerable and, 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 and it would be a really interesting challenge. I think I do a lot of very, very technical character work. I do, as I, I said in the past, I've done a lot of genre work. So I, I've taken a lot of really big jumps. It would be, 
it'd be fascinating to play in that kind of space. Um, I don't know if I could, but it would, it would be really interesting challenge. It's a, have you ever done it? Um, playing something similar to myself. Like very, very close to you. Ooh, that's, that's a good question. I've played, I've played facets of myself for Mm -hmm. sure. And, um, because I have a wide range of the genre behind me and comedy, I've played deep, dark depths that were uncomfortable for me to go to and finding that version of myself. But then I've also played a lot of the comedic elements and being able to just find little neurotic aspects of my personality and heighten those. And just mm-hmm. and that's fun. I love doing that. I love playing ignorant characters. So... I know that you gotta they, find that like they're so dumb they don't know they're dumb kind of. I, I love it. I love yeah. dumb. I mean, yeah. It's my favorite to play, um, in like the most sincere way. Uh-huh. I no, I don't think that I have. I don't think I have fully embodied something that has felt that vulnerable. That has been not only so di- like multi-dimensional, but having all of those dimensions line up with my dimensions in mm-hmm. ways where those will all be exposed. Mm-hmm. No, I haven't. No. I haven't had that. Challenge. I think that's a very interesting challenge as well. Because yeah. c- c- character work can be very, no matter how big the jump is, um, there's something really uh, safe about it because I can go, I can disappear completely. You don't even see me. That's the, that's the magic of it. Um, so yeah, I think, I think kind of stripping that away completely would be both fascinating and terrifying. See, I think that, like, I, I understand what you're saying. I think that we come at it from a, a, a little bit of a different angle because mm-hmm. um, especially in comedy, especially in character work, I find that I can find that one facet or a couple of facets of myself mm-hmm. that are very true. And I think that that's important in comedy to keep it grounded through a truth like mm-hmm. that, um, to have it resonate and to have it actually have an effect of being hilarious. Mm -hmm. So I still feel like those facets, I'm being vulnerable and showing those, Mm -hmm. but they're just not fully that dimension. I don't know how many facets my, (laughs) I'm I'm hand speaking right now. I have this globe in front of me of all the different facets that come together that are me. Um, They're still very real. Mm -hmm. And that's, I I tried not to turn it into a caricature. Mm -hmm. Um, but I also, I get what you're saying that those other aspects, you know, you can kind of, you know, that people are only looking at that facet. And mm-hmm. so you're very, it's almost an awareness of you're, you're comfortable playing that facet mm-hmm. and you don't have to worry about the rest mm-hmm. because people aren't going to see the rest through yeah. that performance. Isn't it, it's so tricky to try and like parse what exactly is going on when you're acting. Cause I, I realized throughout the course of this interview, I might've contradicted myself in a couple of places, but both are, are true. Like that you're, that you're, you're, you're deeply, deeply empathizing, but also that you can, you know, you're deeply empathizing. You're trying to show something honest, but also that you can like hide inside of it at the same time. Like it's a weird, it's a weird job. It's a very, very weird process. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, I agree with you com- completely that you're, you're, you're like working from this very, um, a, a, a honest place and like heightening certain facets of, of yourself but then like as it's perceived it can hide everything it's acting is weird it is <laughs> acting is weird <laughs> um i i soaked up so much of your time this morning we went beyond what we said we were going to be beyond and i i love the conversation that we've had so far um People can, <laughs> people can see the real you if they go to the Toronto After Dark Film Festival. Yes, you have the, a screening. The, it, this is going to be coming out uh, on the same, same day as your screening. Mm-hmm. What time is your screening? Uh, it's on the 22nd. It's at uh, 9.30 and it will be playing before uh, the 9.30 feature on the 22nd. Very cool. Mm-hmm. And we did mention at the beginning that we usually do one cool thing mm. at the end of our episodes. Mine was originally an app and it has transformed into what we started talking about. I just want to make an app that is for apps now that is an app hole (laughs) that is doing honestly, transparently what apps are already doing, what the internet, Google is already doing in 
having algorithms to say, well, not only do I organize all of your apps in this hole so you can find them easy enough, but you can also go into this section to like, because you recently downloaded this, here's what's also maybe interesting to you. Because I do, I do love that part of the technology that's watching me and saying, you might like this because I do. I usually do. They're mm-hmm. so right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you have one cool thing that you like I, to share? I, I, I haven't created a meta app. Um, <laughs> one cool thing that I'd like to share. Uh, oh, well, can it be a book? Is that yes, <laughs> yes, I love books. Yeah, um I'm I'm working my way through uh all of Kurt Vonnegut's books right now. Um, Amazing. And they're like they're he's he's so dark and so funny yeah. and so yeah. honest and like amazing. Um so I would say if 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 you haven't read it and you like Vonnegut, you need to read Sirens of Titan because it rocked my world. It like it'll it'll surprise you and make you laugh and cry it's so beautiful um so yeah sirens of titan amazing we'll play that in there too tanya tanya's been very quiet over there in that little corner do you have a one cool thing that you want to chime in on um i don't know not really um every tanya's still asleep this morning (laughs) i know i've been drinking decaf coffee (laughs) sorry is that i i fed her it's not your fault i should have brought my own um Oh, I've been doing this uh, DNA analysis stuff. Um, it's been really cool. It's a uh, lots of us today. Clearly, I haven't spoken enough. It's called Twenty Three and Me, and um, you get to learn about like your heritage, your ancestry, and all that kind of stuff. I like how I'm holding my mini mic right now. <laughs> um, but uh, it, it's it's funny because not only do you learn your ancestry, you get to learn about your health and traits. And I was looking at this stuff. And it goes on to talk about your traits and like there's 34 reports of your traits and it's just really funny things like um, the ability to match musical pitch is 50-50. So I might be able to, but I might not. Um, But it's just like little random things and like that's crazy. Like cheek dimples, likely no dimples. I don't have them. Um, Cilantro taste aversion and this one's so wrong and I want to write them and be like, you lied because I like cilantro. Ooh. Slightly higher odds of disliking cilantro. I love cilantro. I feel like that's a big credibility factor for yeah, me because I'm that's definitely. a that is science, that whether is or not you wrong. like cilantro. It's a predisposition. Yeah, but it's just kind of cool like how like it, they're going down to like the traits of you, not just like your DNA, like health, like how you should be living your life or like... Um, things like that but actually something really cool I found out was all those seizures I was having a few years back wasn't even DNA it was food it was my food intake what I was putting into my body is what was causing me to be so sick and 23andMe tells you that um well I kind of put two and two together um because it was saying how I'm highly sensitive to carbohydrates I should be cutting back on sugars and all sorts of stuff like that. So it was kind of cool to like configure all these things and be like, oh, so it's not my DNA that's fucked. It's the way I've been treating my own body. So yeah, learn how to treat your body, folks. Yeah. <laughs> Science, nature, and nurture. Right? They both matter. <laughs> but yeah, I guess so. Get 23andMe. It's cool. That's cool. I've been hearing a lot about that too. I feel like the universe is trying to tell me to I'm it. 100% European. <gasps> Yeah. I want to know what I am. I probably am too. I'm a mutt. I thought I was, but I'm like 100% European. Yeah, but Europe, Europe's European, pretty big. <laughs> I know, but like still European. Like I was hoping like I'd have some sort of cool stuff in me. Not cool. You're, yeah. Whitewashed European is I'm not cool. It's literally white. the lowest on the cool chain. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, white folks. <laughs> well... Those are cool things. Those are cool things. I really enjoy those. Thank you so much for being yes. here. Yes, have thank an, you for having me. Have an incredible time at your screening. Yeah. We look forward to watching more of your work. Oh, thank you. If you like this podcast, you can support it by subscribing to it on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also leave us a rating or review, which sincerely helps us and we absolutely love. Come hang out with us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, and send us your questions, recommendations, and cool things at we're totally not okay at gmail.com. Thanks for listening to We're Totally Not Okay. But that's okay. We're totally not okay.